My grandfather used to say, if that didn't ring your bell, your clappers broke. <laughs> Tell you what, I, I agree with uh, my friend Joey. And my, my pastor growing up at First Spartanburg, who came when I was uh, going off to college, has a phrase he likes to say, fasten your seatbelts. And uh, I would echo that to you, Crossroads Church, fasten your seatbelts, because God's not done with you yet. God's not done with me. He's not done with us. Uh, it's not because I'm here. It's because we're here. At this point in history, I believe he wants to do some things in our church family. It may be just for me. I could be so selfish. It might be to teach me something that you teach me something. Maybe that's why we're together. I don't know what he's got in store, but I'm, I'm ready, willing, and excited. And uh, can't wait to see what he's going to do in our lives together. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis 12. I, I, I'm not going to apologize, but I want to let you know this up front. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning, so prepare yourself. It won't be on the screen because we're going to be looking at Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We're going to get out on time. I saw some of you already going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. We're going to give you the fast forward version of the life of Abraham today in just a minute. But um, man, thank you, brother, on the piano this morning. Linda, wow. Nathan, uh, what talent we have in our congregation. Uh, Joey is right. I, I want to see more of you, uh, maybe not all of you. Uh, if you come to the comedy variety show, I want to throw in the word comedy to the variety show tonight. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, it will be the last performance because we might get uh, law enforcement showing up for some of the things that you may see tonight. So if you missed last night, come tonight. It's going to be great. Um, going to be a great time together. Hey, thank you as well, church family. Uh, I want you to recognize or, or let you know that I recognize something um, this season uh, that we're asking you to do a lot. And I want you to know I recognize that. Um, and I know you're being stretched, uh, and I am too. Um, but I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for your heart, and thank you for your heart for the Lord, and thank you for your heart for giving. Um, I mean, a few weeks ago, just to retrace the steps, if you've missed them, uh, it, in passing, I was praying about our friend in Malawi, Africa. I'm praying that we're going to take a group from this church in 2020 to Malawi, Africa. So if you've been wanting to go to Africa, see the tigers, elephants, oh my. Uh, we may be going, Lord willing. But I want to thank you. you. You took care of Bibles for a whole congregation. You've taken care of Operation Christmas Child, tons of boxes. You've taken care of gift cards for people in our community. You've taken care of children in our community. Uh, last Sunday morning, my friend Mike Williams was here, our missionary in the Dominican. This church family, you guys gave over $4,000 to Mike Williams last Sunday. Wow. Wow. And now here we are with Lottie Moon. I didn't know she was still around. She is. She is. And we're already just tracking right on track to go over our budget. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, really what it illustrates is sacrifice, which is kind of interesting. Because that's kind of the focus of our sermon this morning. Many of you know the story of Abraham. 
uh, who was called Abram, we're going to discover in a little while, and God changed his name as well as his wife's name. We've talked about in the past how important names are to God, and we're going to look at that this morning. But the story of Abraham, I believe, takes this issue of sacrifice to a whole different level, and it really is about more than sacrifice. It, it really is about being obedient when God tells you to do something. I used to tell my kids because my dad told me and his dad probably told him and his dad probably told him. Growing up, when we would ask our kids to do something and they would say, oh, we're gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it in just a minute. We used to say that's disobedience because delayed obedience is disobedience. You don't need a preacher to tell you this morning, but there's many of you sitting in the congregation, God's told you to do something, it may have been a week, a month, a year, 10 years ago, and you still haven't done it. What are you waiting for? Delayed obedience is disobedience. And we come to this story and we learn about Abraham who gave in an obedient way and followed through in an obedient way that many of us, most of us in this congregation say, would say it took some crazy faith to do what he did. But I think we need to look at the whole story before we get to the part that most of us would talk about when we talk about Abraham, which is his son, Isaac. And we're going to get there in just a minute. But if you've got your Bible, look at Genesis, if you would, chapter 12. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to jump around to chapter 15 in just a minute. But to start the story, the Lord says to Abraham in chapter 12, he actually gives him a promise. He says, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and so shall you be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow, what a promise. What a promise, especially I like that part where he says and I will bless you and all the people that bless you I will bless and all the people that curse you I will curse. Well, I'd like to have that power in 2019, wouldn't you? What a great promise. And so Abraham, it says in verse 4, chapter 12, went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Abraham was 75, or Abram, was 75 years old when this took place. So here he is, 75 years old. God gives him a promise that he's going to have great descendants and all the land and multitudes, and this great blessing is going to come. And scriptures tell us that Abram was a good man. And we're going to find out in a little while that he, he lived with his wife, Sarai, but they had no children. But it's interesting here, just a couple of things to note before we get into the main part of our message about Abram. God tells him in verse 1 to go. Verse 4 says he went. So God says go. Abram went. He followed through in obedience. He was 75 years old. Now, if you are around that age and you might think God's done with you, you need to read this whole story because you're going to see how God used Abram in his later years. Someone may question whether they were later years or not to do something pretty incredible, 75 years old. Well, God continued to talk about his descendants and you get into chapter 13 and Abram and his nephew Lot, their, their families have grown so big that they can't really survive on the plot of land that they're on. And so they're standing on this hill. And in chapter 13, Abram tells Lot, okay, you pick first. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Let's separate. So we have some, some places to kind of span out and Lot, unfortunately picks in the wrong way. 
And we see what he did in chapter 13, verse 10. It says, Lot lifted up his eyes. He saw the valley of the Jordan. It was well watered like the garden of the Lord. Those of you who know your Bible, you know the area that he saw was the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two cities who were just totally uh, opposed to doing things the way God wanted him to do. And Lot chose and made his decision by the way things looked. Let me just throw this in. This is not a part of the meat of the message necessarily. But the devil is a great counterfeiter. I hear a lot of people, adults and young people alike, who oftentimes say, well, God, everything just lined up. This must be what God wants me to do. This looks great. It must be what God wants me to do. Be careful. Because Satan is a great counterfeiter, and a lot of times we make decisions on the way things look, the way things are, the appearance. And it can be a very dangerous trap. And if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know that it was for Lot, because chapter 14... I told you I'm giving you the fast version. Chapter 14, we find out that Lot is kind of captured and he's taken into captivity. And in chapter 15, which we'll stop and read a few verses, chapter 15, he has to call on his uncle to the rescue and Abram has to come and rescue his son. And then we get to chapter 15 and here's what we read about these things. It says, chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Again, another promise from God. You know, here's what I've discovered about having crazy faith. You want to have crazy faith. You think about the life of Abram. Having crazy faith means waiting on God's timing. Don't you hate that? I mean, just be honest. Don't you hate it? But God's timing is perfect. And you know, what I've discovered is something may be right, but it actually could be wrong if it's not the right timing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. How many of you married know what I'm talking about? Do you know there's a certain time when you bring up things to your spouse and there's a certain time when you don't bring up things to your spouse? I mean, hello, we celebrated my wife and I yesterday, 23 years of marriage as my Dominican friend, Mike Williams would say consecutively, 23 years of marriage consecutively. And she knows me and I know her and she knows there's certain times where she brings up subjects and there's certain times where she doesn't. Because why? Because timing is important. And timing is important when it comes to God working out his plan in your life and his plan in my life. Perhaps our belief in God and in his timing could be the fuel that actually brings things to pass. Have you ever thought about it? So what happens with Abram? says in chapter 15 and verse 2, he says, Well, Lord, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since thou hast given me no offspring, there's one born in my house that could be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man is not going to be your heir, but the one whom shall come forth from your own body, he will be your heir. Think about this. Here Abram is. He's been promised. By the way, he's now 85. From chapter 12 to this chapter, 10 years have passed. He's now 85. You ever, God ever told you something you had to wait on it for a while? You had to wait a year, two years, five, seven years, 10 years. 
So when doubt and discouragement can come in because you start to wonder, okay, is God going to do what he says? And so Abram in these verses, I don't think he's, uh, he's, he's communicating to God in a disrespectful way. Sometimes the text doesn't really translate it well. If you read the commentaries and some of the backstory and the language on what he's saying, he's basically saying, God, I know that you have promised I'm going to have kids. So Sarah hasn't had any kids yet. So maybe what you're suggesting is that this servant in my home, maybe we adopt him and we let him be the heir. And maybe he's going to have kids and that's going to how my descendants are going to be great. And so Abram tells God in verse 3, you really haven't kept your promise. You ever challenged God that way? God, now you promised this. You haven't kept your promise. That's pretty bold. Some people would say that's disrespectful. But again, you know the story of Abram and you know in the earlier chapters about his faith. He's saying that in a way to say, God, I know that you're going to bring this to pass. And maybe this is one of the ways you are because we don't have any children yet. Kind of an interesting level of faith there. And then if you read on to verse 6, we know that Abram was living out this in faith because it says in verse 6 of chapter 15, he believed in the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And then in verse 18, here's what the Lord says. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river the river Euphrates and so once again he makes that promise and reminds Abram of the promise that he's made very interesting he's reminding Abram of something important not only the timing but having crazy faith means waiting on God's plan waiting on God's plan I don't know about you but there's been times in my life where waiting on God's plan has been very difficult. As a matter of fact, I, I think one of the hardest things to do as a believer is to wait. I don't know if you've ever gotten that advice before. I know as a young person trying to figure out who I was going to marry, she thought I should have sped it up a little bit, but I was processing, I was processing. Or maybe what my, I was going to do as a vocation or a career, and I would want to step out and do things, and the best advice I ever got from one of my mentors was, wait, wait. It's hard to do for this kind of personality, is to wait. But there's nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, it could be God's plan A, and, it, and really exemplify that kind of crazy faith you need to have when you're willing to wait. But what do we discover in the story? Well, let's keep reading chapter 16. By the way, don't forget, he's still 85. Ten years have passed, and his wife gets a little impatient. Chapter 16, here's what we read. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, she had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. And so Sarah said to Abram, Now, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. She tells me something else about crazy faith in our world in which we live. Crazy faith has to avoid listening to those that have a suggested shortcut for you to take. Men and women, I, I, I'm excited, young people, I'm excited about where God has our church and where we're headed in the future. I, I can't wait. And maybe for some of you, you've been faithful and you've been here and you've been giving and you've been here for so long and you've been waiting on wherever it is that you think this great place is, which I think we're in a great place now, but this greater place that God wants to take us. And maybe you're kind of wondering what in the world I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. 
you know what I've discovered in my life? Everything that's great is worth waiting on. And everything that's great is greater when you don't take any shortcuts to get there. You know, I remember after I got married, finishing my master's degree. I know our friend Tyler's finishing his degree. Man, it's challenging, especially after you're married doing that, especially after you've got kids. And I remember just the sacrifice and the studying and studying and studying. And I was thinking, can't there be a shortcut? I mean, I'll be honest. I'm like, I've been doing ministry at that point 20 years. Can't you just, can I find a school that would just give me an honorary certificate and be done? But you know what? Looking back now and getting that piece of paper, I'm thankful there were no shortcuts because it made me appreciate arriving at that point. And there are a lot of shortcuts that people try to take in life. There are shortcuts some of us try to take when it comes to growing spiritually. I wish there was a shortcut. There's not a shortcut. It's being in the Word. It's prayer. It's fellowship. It's community with brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no shortcut. I know in our fast-paced world, in our fast-food instantaneous world. I, I went about five places the other day and I never got out of my car. I went through the bank. I dropped off dry cleaning. I swung through and got something to drink at a drive through And I mean, I never left my car. And I think sometimes we think in our world in which we live, that's the way Christianity works. No, it doesn't. There's no shortcuts. And here we have this situation where Sarai comes to Abram and says, hey, basically here's shortcut if God has not provided maybe here is a way to help God out God doesn't need our help he chooses to use us which is an awesome thing but he doesn't need our help he wants to use us we are God's plan a the people of God are his plan a but he can do it and so Sarah suggests this alternative to Abram and you know the story, maybe and maybe not. Hagar becomes pregnant. He goes in, he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant and then trouble ensues. And that's what kind of goes through the next, the rest of that chapter, verse six, chapter 16. More years passed and has God delivered yet? No, Abram and Sarah still have no children. And we get to chapter 17 and we know more years have passed because here's what it says, chapter 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, 75, God makes this promise. Now he's 99. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of going, hello, God, have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten my address? Have you forgotten this conversation that we had? Some of you are looking at me like you're holier than thou, like you've never had this conversation with God. I know you have because I have. There's been many times in my prayer time with God driving down the road and, and, and sometimes my choice of words have not been pleasant. I'll just confess. God, what in the world? You said you were going to do this. I stepped out on faith to do this. I'm going to look like an idiot in front of these people. Blah, 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 blah. And I think God's just going, in my timing and in my plan. No shortcuts. So we get to chapter 17 and Abram is 99 years old and the Lord appears to him again, maybe to remind him and to give him a little encouragement. He says, I am God almighty walk before me and me blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. He bowed down. 
And he said, God said, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I love it when God changes names. There are so many places in the Bible, I encourage you to check this out. Maybe we'll do a study at some point on this. There's so many times in the Bible where God changes the name of people. You know why he does it? It's to mark a significant spiritual milestone in their life. It's not that their history is unimportant. It's not that what God did in their lives in the past is unimportant. It's just to mark a new chapter. It's just like Crossroads. It's not that our history is insignificant. It's not that what God has done in the past is insignificant. 2020 is a new year. It's a new chapter. To have new vision for what God wants us to do. And so here Abram is. He's 99 years old. God reiterates this promise. And even in chapter 17, verse 15, just to make sure that husband and wife understand the significance of the event, he said, not only am I changing your name, we're going to change your wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. He says, God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. And I will bless her, verse 16, and indeed I will give you a son by her. And Abram, again, verse 17, says it fell. he fell on his face and he laughed. I want God to give us such incredible vision for crossroads that when we hear it we just start laughing sort of like, that's crazy it's not that's not gonna happen there's no way that's gonna happen god that's see i'm losing my voice can you tell i can't even laugh without sounding like i'm squealing i want us to laugh at how awesome we think wow only god could do that and so abram falls on his place and says will, will a child be born to a man one hundred years old because if she got pregnant when he was 99 you know how that works nine months later he'd, he'd be turning 100 years old and be a father and will sarah who is 99 years old bear a child and abram again tries to maybe suggest maybe a shortcut what about ishmael was born of hagar and god said no no sarah your wife i'm telling you verse 19 she will bear you a son and you shall call his name isaac what an incredible promise. Then we get to chapter 18. We start to hear about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but we're going to jump to verse 9. And what happens is Abram has a vision. And after the vision, these men approach. And as these men approach, somehow they're aware of what's happening in Abram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah's life. And they come up in verse 9 of chapter 18. They say to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, she is in the tent. And the men said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. She was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, in being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And then these men, we don't know who said it. One of the most profound statements in the Bible, and we don't know who said this. I'm going to ask when I get to heaven, okay, which one of you guys said this? 
It was one of those men, and they said one of the men could have been the Lord. Some biblical scholars say it could have been the Lord. Ask her this question, is anything too difficult for the Lord? No crazy faith understands that nothing is too difficult for God. Now, all of that that I just told you, and we're out of time almost, is all to set up the message. So we're going to be quick. About five minutes we'll be done. You need to know all of that story. Because when you get to this next chapter that we're going to hyperspeed and read really quickly, it puts into perspective everything else. There are some of you in this congregation, as we get to know each other and you get to know me, there are some of you, I know your story from last week, but what makes your story from last week so powerful is what happened 15, 20 years ago in your life. I think about my friend Tommy, and I know just a little bit of her story, but I see you in your faith today, and when I know your history, it's like, what? So it's easy to know some of the story of the Bible and some of the Bible characters that we know and forget the history that got them to the point of making their decision. And so when we get to chapter 22, it's a story all of us know. Isaac, by this time, has been born. And in verse 21, we have the birth of Isaac. Or chapter 21, we have the birth of Isaac. When we get to chapter 22, God asks Abraham to do something that most of us would say is absolutely ludicrous, insane, calling the guys with the white jackets because I cannot believe he's getting ready to do what he's getting ready to do. And when you know that 75 years of age, God told him he was going to be able to have multitudes and people were going to just, the multitudes of the earth were going to come from him. And then you get to this chapter and you read what happens. It puts it in perspective. Chapter 22, verse 1. It came about after these things, all the things we just talked about, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with this donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. Interesting choice of words. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac and he took in his hand the knife and the fire and the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together and they came to the place which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his knife and took, or out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can, can you visually see this? I don't know if, I don't know if you can visually just put, put yourself in this story or not. When, when Will, my son, was three years old, I think he was three years old. He was at daycare at the time. 
Uh, Lynette and I were, you know, hand to mouth every week trying to make it financially. He was at daycare. We get a phone call. I can't remember where she was. She called me. I go over to the daycare. He's falling off of one of the one of the swings or something, and he has this gash right on his eyebrow, all the way down to the bone. So they've got it, you know, taken care of. But I get to the daycare and like, you got to take him to the hospital. You know, you got to you got to get this thing taken care of. We go to the hospital. We get there, and of course, you know, obviously, you know what they're going to do. They're going to have to stitch him up. I remember them taking him in the back room, three years old. And he's getting ready to get all these stitches across here, and the doctor looked at me and said. You're going to have to hold him down while he gets stitches. And of course, he was, man, three years old. I think he was stronger then than I am today. Three years old. Some of you know you've tried to chase your kids to discipline them and, you know, you get worn out. And so they took a sheet and they wrapped him almost like in a straitjacket because otherwise he would have been flailing about. And I remember the doctor looking at me and telling me, you're going to have to lay across him while we put these stitches in. Of course, they did the injections and all that, you know, anesthesia and all that. But still, he was flailing about. I mean, wow. And I remember laying across him and hearing him say, Daddy, make them stop. Make them stop. We read this story sometimes and we take all the emotion out of it. Like Abraham's on this jolly Sunday afternoon stroll and he's taking his son up knowing he's going to be killed. Hello, that's not the way this story happened. He's taking the child that God promised back in Genesis chapter 12 when he was 75 years old and now he's 100 and God has asked him to sacrifice this son. That is crazy. I don't know if it's crazy faith. We'll find out it is, but it's definitely crazy. I don't know about you, but I'd have a ton of questions. God, why did you give me this son after 25 plus years of promising this? My wife thought I was crazy. She's laughing at me. She's laughing at you. I finally have this son. Here I am walking, and now you're telling me to sacrifice my son? It's important that we know the whole concept of this story because when you do, it puts a different light. And what he asked him to do. And so here Abraham is in chapter 22, verse 10. He stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Then I love this next verse 11 says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And the angel said in verse 12, Do not stretch out your hand against this lad and do nothing to him. For now I know. That you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by the thorns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram, and he offered him up for burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. What does that tell me about crazy faith? It tells me this. If you're going to have a life of crazy faith, there's going to be times of testing. Actually, there may even be times of sacrifice. Times that you thought, wow, God is going to ask me to do this. 
Maybe it's a dream that you've had that God promised sometime in the past, and it's finally come to fulfillment in your life, and then God goes, but I want that. You ever had that happen? You know, this, this story is, is really illustrating we get caught up in the sun, and that's an important part of the story, but the story, I believe, is also an example to us and illustrate to us what is the most important thing to you. What is the most important thing to me? Because I want to tell you something. As a child of God, I believe God is going to say to you, if he hasn't already at the point in your journey of faith, I want that. Because if it's the most important thing to you, then God's not the most important thing to you. And maybe today as you hear the story of Abraham and you hear this crazy guy who is willing to step out and must have thought, did, Lord, Lord, did I hear you correctly? What do you want me to do? Did I have bad pizza last night? What, what, what? And then to follow through in obedience like that on a three-day journey, man, what sacrifice. What obedience. No shortcuts. For some of us in here, we know what that one thing is. That maybe we have put above God. And God is saying, I want that. In this story, the good news is, it's a test and God goes, I'm going to provide. And God always provides. But in other stories in the Bible, we'll look at over the next decade, God sometimes asks for sacrifice and a step of obedience, and he may not give that thing back to you that you gave up. But he'll give you something better. Oh, the stories that I could tell you, I'll tell you real quick. One of my best friends in the world was on ministry staff with me for many years. And they found out they were expecting, this story is in the Crazy Faith book, if you got it. They found out they were expecting, right around the time uh, Lynette and I uh, found out we were expecting. And uh, a few months into the pregnancy, they found out that the baby was probably not going to live. There was going to be some deformity or something, but the baby was not going to live. And so the doctors started to suggest to them some shortcuts. Well, you can just uh, come in and we'll have the procedure. if That's what's going to happen and terminate the pregnancy and move on. And these friends of mine, they were in their mid-20s, I guess, at the time, said, no, that's, that's not an option. We are going to trust God. And they continued that journey. And she got visibly pregnant, four or five months pregnant, and she would be pushing the grocery cart through, and strangers would come up and pat her on the belly and go, congratulations, you're having a baby. And in her mind, she knew what the doctors had already told her, and consecutively, as they continued to visit the doctors, the reports got no better. The baby, if it survives pregnancy, probably not live because of this and this and this. Fast forward, their baby was born on 9-11, I remember standing in the waiting room watching that plane go into the tower on the TV monitor and then moments later a 
my best friend coming out and saying, well, the baby was born and we are going to name her Grace. And she lived for a couple hours and they had baby dedication with our pastor there at the time. And, and then she left to go be with Jesus. And you hear those stories of crazy faith and you go, God, what happened? Well, what happened was doctors and nurses who watched their journey and watched them say yes to Jesus through all that started going, wow. I want that kind of crazy faith. I want that kind of crazy faith. Because it's easy to have faith when everything goes your way and goes my way. But when God challenges us to sacrifice and step out of obedience where it just goes his way, oh God, now that's a game changer now. Oh, you changed the deal. No, that was always the deal. We think in North American Christianity that we get to play deals with God. No, God's in charge. God's in charge. Whatever gifts he lets us have are simply that, gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, James tells us. So I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I love this time of year. I want to tell you, if you're visiting here today and you're not a child of God, we read the story of sacrifice from Abraham and what he did with his son. The Bible tells us his only son, the son whom he loved. There's another father that did something with his only son, the son whom he loved. And it ended in sacrifice. No angel jumped in, jumped in and took him off the cross. It ended in sacrifice because of his obedience. And because of his obedience, we don't have to sacrifice that way ever again. We claim the blood of Jesus. And today, if you find yourself here in that place and you're going, wow, I couldn't sacrifice my son. Guess what? You don't have to. God already did. And it's crazy. And I got to confess to you, sometimes I can't wrap my head around it. I just accept it and go praise God that he gave his ultimate gift. And the good news is he didn't stay dead. He's coming back. Would you pray with me this morning? As you pray right there in your seat, I don't know how God's spoken to you this morning. I don't know what sacrifice he might be asking you to make. I don't know what he may be calling you to do, but I've just got a couple questions for you to think about as we dismiss this morning. Here's the first one. Are you willing? Are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice? Is there anything in your life where you've told God, okay, God, everything but this, this is off limits? Because I'll just tell you, personal experience. Usually that thing that I tell God is off limits. That's the thing he's coming after. Because he wants to know if I truly depend fully on him. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, I don't know what you want to do in the hearts of these friends today, but I do pray, Lord, that you would have your way. And not only in their heart, but in mine today. I confess to you, Lord, where I have failed you. And Lord, sometimes I'm just like, I wish I could sacrifice more for you. And then I hear that still small voice saying, I've already done it. 
I've already done it. I just want you to be obedient. So I pray if there's any area of any life of any person in this room where we just need to be obedient, that we would do that this morning. While you're praying, Joey's going to lead us in our invitation hymn this morning. I want to let you know, as every service that we have here at Crossroads, this altar up front is open. If you need to come pray, you do that. If you need to grab a family member's hand and come do that. If you need to confess to God, here's this one thing in my life I need to let go of. You can do that. I'll be down here this morning. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to join me in just a minute. We'd love to pray with you if you need to do that this morning. Would you stand and let's sing this song together? And uh, we will have our invitation hymn. Let's stand together.